OK, this is a search warrant and we're back um, to continue our uh, conversation with uh, Anthony Lebrano, who takes his uh, seat with the uh, board of Penn State Board of Trustees uh, tomorrow morning. And uh, we really appreciate having uh, Anthony back to uh, answer a couple of questions that are on our, on our minds. All of us are here, uh, Ralph, Anna, Tom and myself along with Anthony. Anna, you have questions, do you? Yeah, yes, hello, hello, Mr. Le Lebrano. Is it Lebrano or Le Lebruno? Lebrano. Lebrano. Okay, hi. Hi, how I, are you? We didn't have the pleasure of speaking yet, so I'm, I'm glad to finally talk, uh, be able to ask you a few questions. Uh, first of all, congratulations on winning this seat back. Uh, oh, be careful what you ask for, Anna. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> um, Thinking about that, what's the first change that you're going to implement once you're once you're back on the board of trustees? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a an opportunity myself to make change. That's reserved for the the chairman of the board under our bylaws. He he has or she has a great deal of of power. But in terms of uh, some of my obje objectives, certainly one of them will be to improve and enhance the governance of the institution ideally to work toward making this a smaller board so that there can be engagement. Um, but that's going to be a great deal of work. Um, it, has, it hasn't happened thus far. They understand it's a problem, but if it causes them any risk to control, it will be an uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, you've been known to be outspoken member of the board from before. Yes, yeah, some would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, Talking about the free report, I was I was looking into that a lot, and it seemed to me from what I was reading that the majority of the board um, wants to try to disown it. Is that is that correct? No, I wouldn't say the majority of the board. In fact, I would say that the supermajority of the board would prefer to ignore it. They're not interested in, in disowning it. In fact, the position of the institution has been that they've never accepted the language or the, the, the conclusions of free. If you look at um, public statements made by past chairs of the board, university presidents, as well as depositions of people like Steve Dunham, general counsel university, they've, they've said that the university never accepted the report, so therefore they don't need to reject it. However, there's there's a, a, a just a small asterisk that should be reported. And that is that for purposes of the NCAA's consent decree, that imposed a $60 million fine on the university, the university did accept the free report. So you can't have it both ways. I think it either we're going to accept it or we're going to reject it. I suspect their preference would be to just ignore it and move on. Yeah, I was reading a quote from a, a prior member and he was saying, uh, why, why the greater good is served by moving on. And I was thinking, you know, what greater good? What's he talking about? Well, those are people who, who've never studied psychology. Those are people who don't understand that for a community to heal, they have to address that which ails them. And in the Penn State community, this is this is clearly the uh, the night after a heavy evening of, of uh, drinking where you have a big hangover. This is a hangover the institution. You know, people like me are not going to allow them to forget that this needs to be resolved. They, they will they will attempt to marginalize me I'm certain they will argue that I'm, I'm disruptive or that I'm not constructive 
those the, the, that's deception you know it's the sleight of hand uh, watch what i say not what i do so in my case i'll just continue to do what i've always done which is to work hard and if uh, it requires that we seek legal recourse well, then we'll have to seek legal recourse so there is a chance still that the that they, they can disown the report and 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 look into that matter again uh, the short answer is yes, and I, I actually posted in social media, and Ralph alluded to this yesterday, a resolution that I offered to the the uh, board two years ago with okay. respect to free. At some point in, in the not-too-distant future, you will see that resolution again. The university, the board of trustees will have to make some decisions with respect to to that resolution, and uh, and we'll see whether or not we can take any action with respect to that resolution. I, I imagine they will fight me tooth and nail to avoid having to deal with this issue. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I believe that in order for me to discharge my duties as a trustee, we need to address this. Yeah, I agree. Good luck with that. I hope I hope it works. Thank you. Are you? Yeah. Now, I understand also that um, there was there was damage done, of course, to, to Joe Paterno. Yeah. And was there any anything done for the paternal family since this has all come out about the free report and all the problems? So the, again, the short answer is that yes, they they recently settled with the paternal family. They didn't disclose the terms of the settlement, but I can I can uh, assure you that the terms of the settlement, although I haven't actually seen them, I, I have good good knowledge of of the generalities. They never addressed Joe Paterno's reputation. They never addressed honoring Joe Paterno in any form or fashion. This was more or less a financial settlement with the Paternos. Um, when Joe Paterno signed his agreement with Penn State, that provided for an indemnification. And when uh, he was fired and the Paternos ultimately sued the NCAA, they incurred significant legal fees in doing so. And in taking on the NCAA, the Paternos were de facto taking the position of Penn State because Penn State didn't have the, the, the gumption to, uh, to fight the NCAA. And, and so Superterno oh. Super uh, expended millions of dollars in fees in order to try to defend the university. And, and, uh, and so after, after, gosh, how many years now? It's 2020. So probably now after about uh, almost six and a half years, they finally reimbursed for some of those fees. And in, in addition, uh, I think they settled the, the pending lawsuit with uh, Jay Paterno and, and Bill Kenny, a football coach, both of whom had contracts with the university. Under those contracts, they were, they were entitled to payments that the university withheld. And the result was that they had to litigate I think again, as part of the settlement, they were uh, they were reimbursed some or all of those expenses. But beyond that, I do think that the settlement also provides for the paternos to have uh, some say in in the uh, in what happens with the Joe Paterno statue. I don't think the university can do anything with the statue without the the acquiescence of of the paternos. But but nothing with respect to Joe Paterno and his legacy. I can tell you, having myself met with Chairman and Vice Chairman Dambly and Schuyler prior to leaving the board in 2018, yeah. that I, I made clear to them that there were still two, two elephants 
participants in the room at the time. One yeah. of them was the fort, and the other one was Joe Paterno. Uh, they they told me they had absolutely no interest in pursuing anything with respect to Freeze Report. And as it pertained to Joe, someday down the road he might be honored, but under the current environment, that is the political correctness environment, they didn't have a an appetite to do anything. So it's going to, yeah. of course, require us to continue to push forward. Yeah, I, I understand that you rented an airplane with a banner um, uh, to support Joe Paterno. I can't remember what it said, though. Your banner? I actually did that uh, every home football game, with the exception of one where our plane was grounded because of the weather. But it wasn't just Joe Paterno. Uh, it was also it was also about Louis Free. Yeah, it was it was it was about the issues that we're discussing now. They, each week they said something a little bit different. I thought that was very cool when I read that, though. <laughs> and, and, and we actually flew a plane out at uh, at Michigan State when Penn State played Michigan State. I think that actually drew probably the most attention because because it was an away game and uh, you know, yeah. people naturally expected that I had something to do with it. And for the lo longest period, I. I I didn't comment, but you know, there's no reason for me not to comment now. Right. Did you did you get feedback uh, from from people who weren't aware of the situation at all? No, uh, the feedback is generally and typically from those people who've been engaged. Some mm -hmm. people might, you know, if you look at a at a banner that talks about Louis Free, they don't know who Louis Free is, or they might know he was an FBI director, but they don't know what his involvement was with Penn State. But yeah. the folks the folks who are engaged do, and and and. By and large, this is again for me all about the Penn State community, Anna. Uh -huh. I, I'm less concerned about the noise outside of the Penn State community. I'm more concerned about the the people inside of the the university who who have a great deep love for what Joe Paterno contributed to the uh, to the university over his 61 years of service, as well as those people who who are adamantly um, uh, and continue to be outraged over the fact that the university allowed Louis Free to uh, excoriate the culture of the institution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a horrible record anyway with the other other mishaps he's had with the Richard Jewell case that Clint Eastwood wrote about. Um, he's got a bad, bad reputation as far as I'm concerned as a law enforcement officer as being untruthful and and putting, you know, uh, like we, we read about all the, the Half truths and emotional items in that in that report. Well, again, his report is is fact free. It's, it's much much more conjecture. It's yeah. it's a it's it's a, it's an individual who who wanted the the notoriety and, and that press conference was a launching pad for him because uh, the way he delivered his conclusions, uh, he's um, you know he, he's a a, a a guy who who, because of that work at Penn State, was uh, uh, put in a position to merge his firm with Pepper Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Shortly after uh, he did the work at Penn State, Pepper Hamilton and, and uh, Louis Free's organization combined. But, but it wasn't uh, a, um, a marriage that lasted very long because yeah. there was so much pushback on, the, on Free and his report and Pepper Hamilton was was um, facing a great deal of of pressure from folks who deal in the judicial system in Pennsylvania. Ultimately, they unwound that transaction, and and free uh, 
ended up back on his own. But, um, you know, I, I won't speak to Louis Free beyond saying that, that if I were to compare Joe Paterno to Louis Free, as I've said before, uh, Joe Paterno had more integrity in his little finger than Louis Free has in his entire body. Yeah, yeah, such a shame. Yeah, it is. I, I was with Joe. Oh, let's see. It was Tuesday prior to his death on Sunday. I visited with him at his home, and, and we were chatting. He'd come home from uh, a chemo treatment, and and he just, you know, his his greatest concern even then was about Penn State. Just yeah. a, tr- a truly remarkable human being. Yeah. Well, I think the board trustees are lucky to have you, really. Well, um, I think. I think we as Penn Staters were lucky to have him, and, and that's why I fight as hard as I do. And, yeah. and, and, and as an aside, you know, we're even luckier to still have his wife, Superterno. Oh. Superterno is alive and well, and, and in spite of all of this, continues to raise money for the university. You know, she's very involved in liberal arts in the library. When, when Joe Paterno was, was uh, summarily dismissed, the university wanted to take down his name anywhere they had his name. They contemplated removing his name from the library. They contemplated removing his name from the Paternos Fellows Program in Liberal Arts. Uh, they, they, they obviously took down the statue. They contemplated taking his name off of um, a wall in the, uh, in the Bryce Jordan Center. I mean, the, that's, that's how extreme this became. Were it not for the strength of, of two deans, the dean of the library and the, and the dean of liberal arts, uh, his name would have been stripped from those two. But they stood up and said, no, you're not going to do that. Rod Erickson was the president at the time. And Rod's certainly a nice fellow, but not 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 much of a backbone. Some might say feckless. Uh, I would suggest to you that, that Rod, Rod was uh, holding a place during the time he served as president. Um, you know, cl- clearly um, they wanted to whitewash the place of anything that had to do with Joe Paterno, including eliminating the the flavor peachy paterno from uh from uh the creamery that didn't happen because the gentleman who runs the creamery wouldn't let that happen but again that's how extreme things went wow did the media report it when uh, there was a, a settlement between the families yeah but but the but the media's report was simply a settlement you know the university didn't release details and they didn't tell the public, the amount of money involved. As a matter of fact, the board didn't even vote on the settlement. University president made that de- determination. Of course, there had been a fair amount of, of interaction within the board over a period of several years. You know, the settlement didn't happen overnight. We've been trying for some time to get them to settle to honor Joe, uh, and and it failed. Um, but finally, with the intervention of of uh, Senator Corman, who's the Pennsylvania majority leader of the Senate, and, and he's from Center County, which is the home of Penn State. Uh, he, uh, he encouraged a number of people on that board. I'm told that Governor Wolf encouraged a few people on that board, and, and they got a consensus. Uh, they didn't take it to a vote, I think, by and large, because they couldn't get a unanimous vote. That was always the problem we faced on that board. So... It's it's settled, yes. You know, in the settlement, Sue Paterno, in a statement, said that, uh, she, that she just wants to move forward. There's no reason for us to look back and, and question things like the free report. Truth be told, um, I don't believe she actually ever saw the statement prior to its release. 
she delegated that to uh, to a, another party, and she certainly hasn't suggested to to me uh, otherwise. Um, but I'm not going to speak for her. I'm just going to tell you that yeah. they may have received some monetary settlement, but that's about the extent of it. For most of us, it's really about about uh, honoring the man for the 61 years of service that he gave the university. Because yeah. were, were it not for Joe, I don't know that the university would have been well known. And it has nothing to do with football, by the way. You know, mm -hmm. Joe Joe's success was uh, was better known as the grand experiment or success with honor. You know, Joe's, Joe's thinking was that if you could bring all walks of life into the locker room, all nationalities, you know, blacks and whites, no matter what their ethnicity, put them together, put a common jersey on them without the names on their backs, and get them to work together and produce successful football teams. Imagine what kind of successes they could be in in real life after football. Oh, and yeah. And that was always his measure of their, their success. What did you become of yourself after football? What contributions did you make to society? These are truly, truly remarkable uh, people who played for Joe Paterno because they understood what Joe was trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Joe, Joe wanted to win football games, but it wasn't at all costs, which is why, as I said yesterday, it, it's, it's just unfathomable that anyone who knew Joe could possibly believe that, that Joe would allow children to be harmed in order to protect football. It's just, it's, it's so ridiculous it it it, it, uh, it it's it's surreal. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, because of the media, I mean, I'm not from that area. And if I speak to local attorneys about the case, they really think that if if it had to be true, yeah, it's not a like that. Yeah. I, look, because most people don't spend the time doing the homework. As, as we discussed yesterday, there's just not a lot of of. Uh, of, of a curious uh, journalists out there who want to write the story. And also, to be fair, most of the information isn't public. There is, a, there is some public information, but, but a lot of it isn't public information. The university takes the position that the free materials are, are privileged and confidential because free was hired as a lawyer. Um, and, and it's, again, it's, it's uh -huh. no... It's no surprise that the that you know they settled a case the, because that that particular claimant won the right to see those free materials. It's not a surprise that they fought me and and six other like-minded trustees to prohibit us from seeing that material. It's not a surprise. What is a surprise is that it's not necessarily because what was in that material was going to harm the university because somehow it would suggest the university covered up some a pedophile mm -hmm. that, that that's then that, you know clearly that's not the case i i think it's that more than anything else this has been reported that you know, louis free did a number on penn state and more importantly he didn't did a number on the world the yeah. world left believing that these four guys turned the blind eye and allowed a, a serial pedophile to roam the campus so it's a combination of events that made, made it work too with the media's help and and uh, from what i understand the governor um was yeah, the well, governor, the college, governor, correct? Governor Corbett. Governor Corbett yeah. was actually a sitting, as I think I explained yesterday, he was a sitting member of the board, and, and he had a lot of sway on that board. But you have to understand that no sitting governor had ever attended a board meeting. 
He was the first, and he attended the board meeting that the, the week following. Actually, it was that week. The board meeting was um, Thursday and Friday, and and uh, and he was there. Uh, actually, the following week, he was there. He sat in on that meeting. Uh, it should have been a conflict of interest of some kind, I think. Well, and that's why we changed our, our bylaws to preclude the governor and the president from having a voting right. They should they should have been eliminated, but at least they were no longer voting. And after that, we never saw the governor attend another meeting. I actually, actually, that's not true. The governor, Governor Corbett, uh, attended the May 2012 meeting. It was at that meeting where the results of the elections were announced, and I was announced one of the three winners of an alumni seat. And I, and I had been contacting Governor Corbett. I knew Governor, I know Governor Corbett. He was a guest of mine in my suite at Beaver Stadium prior mm -hmm. to the election. And uh, and I'd reached out to him because I wanted to understand what had happened. And uh, and he didn't respond to me. And, and when I saw him at that meeting, I quickly approached him and uh, and asked him why he hadn't responded. And he, and he explained that now that I was a trustee, he could discuss it with me. Well, I never heard from him again. <laughs> and so yeah. any, any respect that I had for him it was lost because, uh, as I learned later, uh, he, he certainly played a, a large role in the selection of Louis Free. Well, Mr. Lebrano, I know that um, I want to ask you more questions, but I know Tom Purcell wants to speak to you as well. Sure. So, Tom, uh, can you hear? Uh, how's how's my reception now? I'm lost in the hills of Cattaraugus County in remote New York. Uh, can you hear me well? Uh, Anthony, first of all, thank you for being, what was the term that you said? An, an obstructor or is it you said? Uh, <laughs> an obstructionist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we obstructionists, we really appreciate that. Uh, because if we don't have people stirring the pot, nothing's going to get done. Well, um, you know, I, b before you you ask me a question, I don't I don't obstruct for the sake of obstructing. When I when I ask a question, as a rule, it's because I already know the answer because I've done my research, and I want to hear what you have to say because that allows me to judge whether or not I think you're you're credible. Uh, but. I'm, I'm a, I really am a civil human being, and I do listen to what people have to say, and then people can convince me that maybe I should be thinking about things in a different light. I've just spent so much time in this matter that uh, that I think I have a pretty firm handle on what's taking place, and, and I think that there, since there is no statute of limitations on the truth, it really, it, 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 it's incumbent on me to continue. If the wrong people are accusing you of being an obstructionist, take the compliment. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't generally take the the people who say that too seriously. Uh, um, you know, we we've talked about uh, some of the well, at least one of the members of the board and, and that person's background. Um, you know, I, uh, I I'm 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 not ever going to feel hurt when people like that chide me or, or attempt to uh, to minimize what I do or how I do it. Usually when they attack me, it's because I'm onto something and, and you need to keep an eye on what it is they're saying because that means they're trying to hide something else. Well, it kind of leads me to my first question. Is Mr. Danby, Mark Danby? Danby, yeah. 
Yes, I'm, sit, I'm sitting here without notes in the mountains, so I'm doing okay. Uh, so, now was he elected or appointed in his position? Well, he was initially appointed by by since since he was initially appointed, a, a new governor took office, and he was going to be replaced. And so, what the university or the board of trustees, excuse me, did was they created a new class of trustee called at large, and and they put him into one of those seats. So he went from a gubernatorial appointee to an at-large trustee. Now, the at-large trustee was voted on only by the board. So again, he's not really accountable to, to anybody. And then, and then he, he, when his term as an at-large trustee expired, they made him a business and industry trustee. So again, there's, there's really no accountability to speak of. It's a very insular process. Yeah, as an outsider, I've been sitting back watching this whole and Mr. Snedden's investigation and just watching this whole thing roll. I got to tell you, you got uh, quite a circus of clowns um, right from the governor, Mr. Free. I've never seen anything like this. Mr. Fina, how, it's almost amazing how this happened, how uh, a subject could lose 100% of his due process and uh, Mr. Sandusky sitting in prison this many years later, it just baffles me. You know, how does somebody get such an, uh, how did they abort the due process system to such an extreme? And how did Mr. Free get away with this? And, and, and really, that's not my question as much as what's going to happen now? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about my return to the board and what exactly. I want to accomplish on the board. Uh, you know, we're in the, the midst of a pandemic. We have a fair amount of social unrest. I, I don't want to be tone deaf to the world around me. So, um, you know, I got to have to measure what I do and, and when I do it and, and how I do it. So, but, but I, but I clearly will continue down the path of the, of the, the governance reform. I, I, I honestly believe more so today than I did when I, when I joined the board initially, that the board is just too large. When I joined the board, there were 32 of us, and I thought that was way too large. And then when we did the research, we, we learned that we're an outlier. Yeah, there are some boards actually a little bit larger, but they run a little differently. But by and large, no one would ever run their board with as many people as we have, and certainly not with as many people who, are, who aren't accountable to anyone. So that has to be a priority. But in order to be successful there, I need to, to get legislative support because we're, yeah. we're, we're, Tom, we're a land grant institution and our mission is to provide an affordable education for Pennsylvanians. Unfortunately, we've lost sight of that mission. I, I often said that we became an elite institution with, without becoming elitist. And in large part, that was the result of Joe Paterno and, and his thinking. Joe Paterno was a Brown graduate. That's a fairly elite institution. But when you, you spend any time with Joe, you realize that that was not as important. What was important that we recognize in Pennsylvania, you got a lot, a lot of hardworking middle-class Americans from all walks of life. And for many, going to Penn State represented the first time anyone in somebody's family was going to college. Well, we've lost sight of affordability at Penn State, unfortunately. We're, we're, we're the second most expensive 
public school for in-state tuition in the United States, second only to Pitt. That that's a that's rather ominous uh, um, uh, attainment on our part that we we became the second most expensive uh, in-state tuition institution in the United States. That, that's very very sad and. And people who should be in a position to attend Penn State aren't because they just can't afford to go to Penn State. We have to do a better job of, of making higher education at Penn State affordable. But you also have to re remember Penn State's no longer just uh, an academic institution. We're also now a healthcare system. We own Hershey Medical. Uh, we're also a law school. We own Dickinson Law. We have a budget. I think it's over eight billion dollars. Uh, it's massive. Our, our 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 research grants now approach a billion dollars. I mean, to be a trustee at Penn State requires somebody who's willing to commit a significant amount of time. And and as I said yesterday, that's one of the challenges we face. We have too many folks who aren't willing to become engaged. They just aren't. And for some of them, the task really is monumental. There's a lot for somebody to get their arms around. I have I have a background in finance and I, I've had a, my own business for, for a long, long time. And I have to tell you, you know, for me reading the financial statements is, is a task. So I don't know how the layperson reads these financial statements. When they buried in the footnotes, the expenses associated with the settlements and, and, and uh, the legal expenses associated with uh, the whole affair, they did so because they didn't want to make it easy for people to ascertain the number of claims paid or the dollar, total dollar amount paid on a per person basis. So at some point, a reader of the financial statements no longer knows how many people are actually paid because they stopped reporting that. Now, the, the auditors should have put a red flag up the moment they changed that footnote, but they didn't. And that's, you know, again, Part of the process here is part of the challenge is that that um, if you if you're not willing to be transparent and your watchdog's not willing to hold you accountable, you know, the the public is by and large screwed. And so, you know, you're left to the likes of people in the media who have any level of curiosity, and there don't seem to be many these days. Uh, Anthony, let me go back to 2012 for a second because this is my concern as an outsider. Yeah, it's it seems. Like this miscarriage of justice happened mostly because, oh my God, this terrible story, we're embarrassed, we better do whatever we can to bury it and get rid of it and get it behind us, Be simply, and let's throw millions at it, and let's listen to ridiculousness like uh, Lewis Freeze, and just to get it behind us now. My fear is how, this many years later, eight years later, how do we right the wrong to get anybody to change their attitude of, don't bring that up again. We don't want more embarrassment. You know, this is what the, what you're facing. God bless you for going back. I think it's very noble. Um, but but this is what has to be fixed. And how do we get people to listen? I think Don Quixote was noble too, right? But he tilted yeah. a lot of words. <laughs> so so that, that that's exactly the problem we face in a nutshell you you hit the nail right on the head uh the university doesn't want to look backwards at this well, what they should do is they should stand up once and for all and say hey we repudiate this report and its conclusions we repudiate it but they won't because it'll draw attention to them and and it will suggest to some 
in the political connectness, political correctness world, that, that Penn State hasn't learned its lesson. Horrible, horrific activities took place on campus, and they turned a blind eye. And now they should be punished for some reason. You know, you, you haven't discussed ever the fact that um, that the U, the Penn State the, the Penn State University was fined by uh, by the Department of Education under the Cleary Act, and Penn State paid an enormous amount of money. It was the largest fine at that to date paid by a, an institution for its violations of the Cleary Act. And the Cleary Act, or the uh, report, the investigation, to a large extent relied on on the free report or at least made claims based on the free report which which proved to be untrue but so we were penalized by the department of education and there was that fear that gosh they may withhold funding for us for research grants okay so, that, so it was fear and embarrassment that made this happen look I, you know i said yesterday tom i believe in, to my core that fear and greed drive human nature so the risk that we we would lose research money, I don't think that risk was real. I think uh, I think it's it frankly it's uh, it it was in large part contrived. I don't believe that we would have had any risk of losing any research money from the federal government. I just don't think politically that would have ever occurred. But you had enough people saying that in the boardroom that you know we said okay, you know our hands are up, like you pointed out. We'll pay whatever we have to pay to make this go away. Karen Peets herself said, by the time we have a new president of the university, this will be a distant memory. She said that in 2012. I think she was referring to her own memory. <laughs> yeah. So here we are eight years later, and we're still discussing this. This will never be a distant memory for those of us who lived through it. Too many of us who love Penn State and what Penn State is, we, we don't love what Penn State has become. We don't love some of the people at the university. The university essentially took all of those people who had anything to do with its history and eliminated them and brought in people who had no experience, no background at Penn State. Well, clearly that's going to change your culture because Louis Fries said we had a culture problem at Penn State. Well, here we are. So to your point, the challenge is is clearly a, a, a large one, one that we're going to have difficulty overcoming. But if the university would just stand up and repudiate free and have the, the, the courage to say, hey, you know what? Louis Free was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. And, and we're here today to tell you that Penn State has always been a great institution made up of great people. But they'll never do that, though. It's just not going to happen. Well, I really wish it would because I think that would save save the face of Penn State for real. I agree with you. Know, you. To, to stand up and be that noble. Uh, also, not to mention the miscarriage of justice as far as due process, that must be fixed. And whether it goes to the feds and, and somehow the uh, firm that's, that's standing up, that's representing Sandusky gets it to the feds, a fed judge to look at it. Somehow this uh, needs to expose free and uh, FINA and any of these clowns that, that carry this misjustice. Well, you know, um, when we sued the university to gain access to the materials, uh, we, we were actually attempting to hire 
a, a law firm in Philadelphia. And I tell you this because um, uh, I, it's something that I learned by my associate, association as a trustee at Penn State, that being that Penn State does a lot of business with a lot of law firms, but during this whole process, they were in business with almost all of the major law firms. So I, I'm attempting to hire the lawyer who represented Jake Corman in his lawsuit against the NCAA. And and that lawyer's name is Matt Haverstick. And, and, um, and we were close to being ready to hire him. And Matt said, hey, uh, I can't work for you because my firm does all of the um, – uh, legal legal malpractice work for Pepper Hamilton, and and that would put us in a conflict, because as you know, Pepper Hamilton and Free joined together. Yes. So, but he did say he said, but I have I have a guy for you. He's the only one I would hire, and his name is Dan Breyer, and he's with a, a firm in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And you know, my reaction to that was Scranton, Pennsylvania. Right. I mean, I'm going up against the 800 pound gorilla in, in Penn State and I'm going to hire a law firm in, in Scranton. So we scheduled a call. Needless to say, I hired Dan and his firm and and uh, and uh, uh, the giant was slayed by Dan Breyer and his his little firm in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, but subsequent to that, in order to show how serious we were in what we were trying to accomplish. I, you know, I I went down to Washington D.C. and and engaged a, a pretty big firm by the name of Williams and Connolly to help us. So if the university, you know, decides that they're going to be difficult or attempt to you know, play some legal games, and well, you know, we'll we'll just go out and bring in the 800-pound gorilla, and and it'll be somebody outside of the judiciary system in Pennsylvania. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what happens because um, that's part of the problem in Pennsylvania. When you get in front of the, the judiciary, you're dealing with, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, a lot of folks are, who are beholden to other people. Yeah, more corruption. Well, because they're, they're elected, right? And yes. you, look, you look at how these people get the offices that they have and, um, you know, you realize very quickly, fear and greed drive human nature, and these folks want to keep their jobs, and and so uh, you know, it's it, they they decide they're not going to hear a case that should be heard. I mean, Jerry's case is a classic due process case. Yes, that's my problem with it. As an outsider, I'm looking at that due process was what a nightmare. It just didn't wasn't there. It didn't happen. How did they get away with that? And as a policeman for over 30 years, it, this just, just stuns me. That's why I got involved with this, uh, interested in this search warrant, too, because um, people like Ralph and John Snedden, these, these, are, these are rare people who are willing to get in and fight. And I, I actually, Anthony, you in the same gang. Good for you. And I, and I hope that ace up your sleeve. I hope you keep it there with the, with the law firm. And I hope it you know, Hope it plays out well. Well, you know, I I really do have trouble some nights sleeping because this still bothers me. The fact, the fact that that we, we treated someone who gave us sixty one years the way we treated him, and yes. no, 
and and knowing that these guys didn't set out to harm anyone and knowing that it was prosecutorial misconduct and knowing that that prosecutorial misconduct hasn't hasn't been uh, brought to a point where the people who were engaged in that misconduct were, were charged it's it it just it eats at me and it eats at me because i think to myself if you aren't so wealthy in america today you can't defend yourself it's just not possible because the cards are stacked against you and if you don't think that people like frank fina don't understand how that game is played they do have a bridge to sell you they get it you know in Jerry's case, I'll give you a little tidbit. I don't know if this has ever been discussed. But Jerry Jerry hired Joe Amendola. Joe was a local guy. But actually, there were a group of folks who were contemplating hiring Brian McGonigal in Philadelphia. Now, I don't know if you know that name. I do. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Brian, of course, went on to represent Bill Cosby, and, and he successfully represented him in that uh, it was a hung jury. Uh, you know, if if Jerry had hired Brian, I suspect the outcome would have been very different because Brian has all of the resources to bring to bear to ensure that due process is, in fact, honored and that Jerry's rights aren't violated or anyone else for that matter. But instead, we ended up with Joe, and, and uh, Joe was just overwhelmed. And, and unfortunately... There was no fairness on any level because this involved such a politically charged issue. You're talking about potential child abuse and molestation. And because of how the Office of the Attorney General used the media, they poisoned not just the jury pool, but they poisoned the communities. So you... you just thought that there had to be some truth to this. This couldn't all be untrue. And if you attempted to defend Jerry on any level, then you were just as bad. Well, if you had judges or tools like Judge Cleland, that didn't help either. I mean, let's just get this done today. Well, you know, you do. My biggest question about decisions made by Judge Cleland is why didn't he allow more time? Exactly. Why, why was why were we in such a hurry you know, it's interesting. Free didn't issue his report until after the trial took place, right? I mean, there, there is there is something to uh, people working together to ensure that um, they happened in in a certain way. And in this case, uh, you know, you had Jerry's conviction on, I think, was it 40, 44 out of forty seven counts, and and uh, you had. Uh, you had uh, the uh, the free report issued just a few weeks later, and then you had the NCAA consent decree. You know, remember that in order for that consent decree to, to work, you needed to have student athletes back on campus by a certain date because one of the items that uh, the consent decree provided was that any Penn State football player, any, could transfer schools without sitting out a year. That was one of the penalties imposed. So if I'm a Penn State football player in the summer of 2012, I could go to any school immediately. And the only way that works is if if those 
penalties and that particular penalty penalty is imposed before the start of the, the football season. You can't do that in September because if you do that in September, the season's already started. So effectively, that student athlete's going to lose a year. So um, I do know in reading some of Corbett's public comments, he actually stated publicly he didn't expect the report to be issued until September. But of course, it was issued in July. Right. And, and of course, you issue it in July. The consent decree comes down 10, 11 days later. And now you have all of these student athletes in a position to make a decision. Do I stay or do I go? Uh, virtually all of them stayed with the exception of, I think, three or four starters. Uh, and now you, know, you go on to your season and... Um, the university has to play shorthanded. You, you lose revenues because they don't let you go to bowl games. All of that was the result of a freeze report suggesting that there was a lack of institutional control. And had Penn State not accepted, for purposes of the consent decree, Louis Freeze report, then it would have been a different story. But they were so afraid that if the NCAA came in and did their own investigation, that somehow I might find something else. They had an outside lawyer from Alabama who, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I don't think he gave them the greatest counsel. I, I was in the room after the consent decree was issued, and we had that meeting, and we talked about the fact that the president didn't have the authority to accept that consent decree without board approval. Um, but, you know, here we are eight years later still addressing it, and the last thing they want is for a guy like me to stand up and have these discussions. And they certainly won't, don't want me to do it publicly. I, wow, I, can, I, I can almost guarantee, Tom, that at some point, you know, I'm going to hear about that probably sooner rather than later. Because the only way the story gets told is if it's told to the people who are willing to report the story. And, and that's going to be a tough note with the media. It is. But you never know. Give it to, give it to college try, no pun intended. Well, you know, I often tell people the tortoise won the race, not the hare, so. Yep. Well, listen, it was really nice being able to interact with you, Anthony, and, and really wish you luck. And uh, as groups like the, you know, Search Warrant are really thankful that, to see the fighters out there. And we want to be the fighters, too. We want to help. Well, listen, I appreciate you giving me the time to, to talk about this with you. Um, there's so much more. I'm sure that we can talk about it down the road uh, as circumstances allow. So much more information that that uh, I, I can't share presently, but I hope to at some point down the road. Um, people need to know what really took place. Yes. Thank you. Well, my Anthony, Anthony, you had mentioned somebody from Alabama. Is that right? Yeah, it was a, a lawyer who's based down in Alabama. The Penn State had hired to represent it, its interests. Yeah. In the NCAA matter. Yeah, we had a, right. We had a previous uh, NCAA rep from Penn State that uh, discussed him specifically, and he was very disappointed in that person. Yeah, you had uh, I think probably John Bove. Yep. And uh, not John Bove. Um, John Nichols. Uh, yeah, John Nichols. Yes. Yes. Well, both of them, for that matter. Oh well, you both of them. Well, they look. <laughs> There, gosh, I can tell you guys, you know, the, when when um, when this happened in November 2011, 
there was a member of the athletics department who who sent a note to um, then acting athletics director Dave Joyner, and in that communication, he suggested strongly that that Penn State go out and hire outside counsel. They're going to need some some help, and and Joyner's position was, "Nah, we're going to be fine. The NCAA doesn't have any authority to act in this matter." And so they they just basically did nothing for months, literally for months. And then, of course, when it became obvious that that was a problem, they had to go out and, and hire someone. And, and they hired this individual, and he gave them the counsel that he gave them. Um, you know, it's it's in in some ways it's the same with Jerry. Jerry hired the wrong lawyer too. Right, right. Hey, you had uh, you had mentioned uh, Dickinson Law School yes being uh, acquired by Penn State right um, which is kind of interesting to note I know that Ralph knows a lot about this but there was an individual that was uh, uh, uniquely tied to uh, Dickinson Law School um, as a judge who was uh, involved in the Spaniard case do you remember that Ralph oh yeah yeah so um you know, unbelievable. Anyway, I would say, considering the uh, the Penn State Law School is now down the street from the stadium, um, they should really uh, take a hard look at making a case study of this whole entire fiasco. You know. Um, well, John, John, you should know that the law school actually volunteered it to assist, and Penn State essentially said, "We're not interested." Out. Oh my God, that that's brutal, absolutely brutal. John, the uh, judge you're referring to was Victor uh, P. Stabile, who uh, was um, wouldn't recuse himself from Spaniard's case after he repeatedly made uh, inappropriate uh, comments about uh, Doctor Spanier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let, let me, uh, Anthony, I, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you're familiar with the campus and you're familiar with State College, right? Yes. Okay. So, and you know where Toftree's is? Yes. Okay. And there's a road that goes over the highway on your way to Toftree's, right? Yes. Okay. And that used to be a two-lane highway, right? Yes. And they just made it a four-lane highway. Right. Um, and the reason they did that is to, um, to they modified that highway to meet the requirements for a casino within that area. Is that right? That's my understanding. Um, do you have any idea who on the board is behind that? Uh, well, I, there's only one member of the board who had a casino interest, Thyra uh, Lubert. I understand that uh, he's acquired the space at the Nittany Mall that was previously occupied by Macy's for the sole purpose of uh, running some kind of gaming activities. But, of course, he needs the legislature to pass uh, some legislation, which I'm told is in the works. So, we'll, right. There's, supposed to be, there's also supposed to be, uh, also supposed to be a property that's adjacent to Top Trees, I guess. That, uh, but I but I believe though, my, and this is hearsay, but my understanding is that 
Lance Shaner is opposed to any oh. gaming activities over there. Okay, right. I understand. He's the he's the one that has uh, uh, properties, particularly across the street from that. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, I, you know, in the event that they either put it at the Nittany Mall or over at Doftree, uh, I, I think it's interesting for somebody to uh, take a look at who on the board, uh, in addition to Ira Louver, and is involved in real estate. <laughs> and we, and, know, yeah. we know Mark Dambley's involved in real estate. We know through disclosures, Mark Dambley has investments in some of Lubert's investments. Um, and, you know, the what it, what should happen is if, in fact, there's a gaming operation established at the Mount, or at the Nittany Mall, and that gaming operation allows for betting on sports in college, then that Penn State board member should should leave the board because there's an inherent conflict. Absolutely. Oh my God. The, you know, the other point is this, do we, you know, does, does anybody want a casino within either walking distance or a seven, seven minute drive from the campus? I, I did. I mean, has anybody talked to, to uh, college student parents to see whether or not they feel that's a good idea to have a casino within walking distance or a seven minute drive from the campus. Are you kidding me? Well, you know, money talks, bullshit walks. At least that's what they said during app scam. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, how many, how many problems are inherent in that when you have young adults? More than we can recount here. But again, you know, you have your majority leader supporting the legislation and you have another House member up there supporting the legislation. I don't know what Benninghoff's position is on that legislation, but he's now ascended to a, to a, a position of, of higher authority within the Republican Party in the House. Uh, and, you know, so if the legislation is going to pass, if the Republicans support it, and, and I'm guessing that they do, if Jake's behind it, then you know, it's it's a, almost a foregone conclusion. My my guess is that um, that that the the interest of the member of the board won't become an issue. Because I, I that member has one year left on his term, and I I'm not yeah. surprised yeah. he stays beyond the year. But he might he might enjoy having me back so much that he he can't think about leaving. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, we, he and I have exchanged pleasantries. Uh, when we had the riding downtown, I sent him a little note to make sure that his property wasn't damaged because they were in his neighborhood. And he told me that uh, he was welcoming back to the board. So, you know, I, wow. I, I, I was disappointed by Ira as board chair because we legitimately believed that Ira could resolve the dispute with the Paternos. Legitimately, we, we believed it. He led us to believe he would, and, uh, and he didn't. And that was that was a disappointment. Um, I took a lot of grief from from mem many members of the alumni community for having supported Ira as board chair. You know, he served one year. I I did it because I really believe that he was the one guy who could resolve that issue, which continued to be continues to be a major issue. You know, Joe Paterno. Uh, but what he chose he chose to do was 
not to do it. He said he couldn't get it done. Um, I, you know, it, you live and learn. That's why I say this time around, I'm, I'm much better prepared than I was the first time. Yeah. Anthony, uh, while, you're, while you're talking about uh, Ira Lupert, I, I wanted to bring up a couple of things. Um, John, do you mind if I cut in for a second? Uh, I was just going to say that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, when Ira Lupert was uh, head of the uh, legal subcommittee, right. he was the one who was controlling all of the settlements. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, he wouldn't talk to me, uh, Ira Lupert, but uh, he did give an interview in 2017 to a guy who was writing a book. And uh, he talked for the only time that I'm aware of publicly about uh, Joe Paterno, uh, Jerry Sandusky, uh, Spanier, Curley, and Schultz. Um, and, And well, this is specifically about uh, leave Sandusky out of this. He's talking about Spanier, Curley, Schultz, uh, uh, and Joe Paterno. And he said, I, I think they did amazing things for the university. This is Lupert talking. He says, but all four used poor judgment and poor leadership. And as a result of that, they couldn't continue to lead our university. Um, do you have an opinion on that one? Yeah, I do. So. I think I mentioned yesterday when when the report was issued, July 12, 2012, I walked into the meeting room and I I was confronted by Lubert. I confronted, you know, Lubert was standing there when I walked in and and immediately he, he looked at me and asked me what I thought of my guys now, referring to those people mm. you just mentioned. Uh, and as I said yesterday, I was shell-shocked by by Louis Friedman's uh, press press. Um, that he did the presser that he did, and uh, I hadn't had a chance to read the report. I, I completely disagree with Ira. You know, Ira Ira is one of those people who's who isn't really interested in getting into the weeds. Um, research requires too much time. Uh, you know, we we know Ira's affinity for wrestling, and um, as Ira's. Um, you know, Ira's good friend is Dave Joyner, and and Dave Joyner became athletics director. And with Dave Joyner as athletics director, Ira had a say in in a lot of things, including the hiring of the next football coach, who happened to be Bill O'Brien at the time. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm disappointed in in Ira as a Penn Stater. I really and truly am. You know, Ira Ira left the board. The first time, I think back in 2001, he was a gubernatorial appointee initially. And then he was removed. He was replaced and he was upset. And he told Spanier that he was going to remove Penn State from all of his uh, estate planning. And that concerned Spanier and Spanier and Schultz and and Curley communicated. And they really didn't want to fall out of good graces. And so um, what they did was they uh, they. Uh, asked Joe Paterno to t- to uh, invite Ira Lubert to the Super Bowl. Mm. So Joe Joe out of his own pocket bought the tickets. Now Joe never went to the Super Bowl, by the way, never. There too many people. Just you know, even then, I mean, two thousand and one, Joe was extremely well known, and uh, and he didn't want to have to deal with it, especially to sit in the stands. So uh, he invited Ira. Ira flew down on. Ira flew them down on Ira's plane, and uh, and and Joe did what he had to do. But Ira, you know, Ira 
threatened them that he was going to remove Penn State from his planning. I don't know whether Ira has or hasn't. I'm not sure anybody knows, but um, uh, you know that's just the kind of person apparently that he is. And I'm just disappointed as Ira in Ira as a Penn Stater. Things that I consider to be conflicts, for example, Ira handled some of the investments in the uh, endowment, the Penn State endowment, while he served as trustee. To me, that's a conflict. And, and I don't care that you can disclose the conflict and then recuse yourself. I think the appearance is so great that you can't involve yourself. He, he made money on the transactions. That, to me, is wrong. Oh. It's just fundamentally wrong. And, and so maybe it's just a difference in, in, in our moral compasses i don't know i don't measure myself my my worth as a human being by by dollars and cents i i had this discussion with ira once he he, he was chair and he was pissed off with me about something and we sat down and, and bob capretto was with us and and i said to ira ira what do you think that that your value as a human being is based solely on how much you're worth and ira ira looked at me and said well what else is there <laughs> and that to me was very sad and as I've gotten older you know it's even sadder that someone thinks that, that a measure of a man is how much he's got in his bank account right well, and, he, and he better than me could stand up and champion Penn State he, much better than me Ira has generously given to the university over the years you know, if it wasn't for Ira the, the wrestling program would, have, would be in dire straits and he should be applauded for Willingness to contribute. And he knows. He knows Tim Curley. And he knows Gary Schultz. I mean, Gary Schultz negotiated the Innovation Park transaction with, with Ira. Ira knows that these are good, decent people. But he ran the other way. Now, you know, he he's done business with Tom Klein. We know Tom Klein has represented uh, certainly at least one of, uh, or maybe two of the claimants in the case. We know that he was with Tom Klein at Tom Klein's apartment overlooking Central Park when they were doing the negotiating for the settlements. Remember, Penn State hired Feinberg and Rosen to do the settlements, and they compiled a grid, and the grid included factors like who's the lawyer representing the claimant. The more notable the lawyer, the more value to the claim. Believe it or not, Penn State's general counsel actually thinks that if a lawyer files a claim, then, 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 then that in itself gives validity to the claim. Right? That's insane. That's well, insane. And, and we asked about that with respect to those claims in the 70s. Mm -hmm. There was no collaboration, none, zero. There was, no, there was no collaboration for any of those claims. But, but particularly those two claims, there's none. And the Office of the Attorney General refused to, to, to file charges because they didn't believe the claims to be valid. Even the lawyer representing one of those claimants didn't believe the claim to be valid, right? But, but you had a university that said, you know what, we're going to discharge these claims and put them behind us. The board wasn't aware of it, but you had, you had um, you know, the, these two claims that were paid. I, Ira Lubert, uh, you know, certainly was involved in that process. He, he told us they would vet each and every claim by having their forensic lawyer 
a forensic psychologist interview each and every one of those people. It never happened. No, it did not. And um, about the claims in this interview that uh, Ira Lupert gave in 2017, which I'm sure he regrets, he said about those claimants, and I'm quoting him, they're not all victims. There's some that were on the gravy train. There's some claims that we settled for 100 grand that would have caused us more to litigate. Now, he does say, in his opinion, there were some real victims. He was in a position to see it. But he said, did some people exaggerate their situations? Yes, they did. Did some layers, lawyers step in front and say, this is far worse than it was, and I want more money? Absolutely, that happened. But whenever I could, I settled it. Um, that doesn't sound to me like uh, somebody who's executing their fiduciary responsibilities to watch over t uh, Penn State's money. So, Your thoughts? Yeah, I do have thoughts. Uh, this, this one's easy for me. Yeah. This, this underscores um, Ira's view of the world. What Ira failed to factor into this, and frankly, so did I when we, when we agreed to the first round of $60 million, we failed to recognize the damage to the reputation of the university. See, Ira, Ira's a numbers guy. It's all about the money. And, and Ira looked at this and said, okay, we're going to pay $60 million. We're going to file claims with the insurance carrier, and we're going to get some of that money back. And so the net cost of the institution is going to be this. And this is, is really a pimple on the, an elephant's ass in terms of the balance sheet of the institution. That's how it was viewed, very simply. Well, they gave away at least $120 million that I'm aware of to um, you know, 36 or 38 guys uh, who didn't even have to give their names, which is about uh, you know, over $3 million each. And I just want to read the insurance case that we talked about where Penn State's own insurance carrier sued the university because they were giving away these enormous settlements. There, uh, there was testimony from an Eric Anderson, who's a lawyer from Pittsburgh. He's an expert witness in the case, testified on behalf of the insurance carrier. And here's what he wrote. It appears as though Penn State made little effort, if any, to verify the credibility of the claims of the individuals. He, uh, Anderson talked about the absence of documentation and the claims, saying in many cases there were, quote, no signed affidavits, statements, or any other means of personal verification of the information which I reviewed. I do not know why so many of these cases were settled for such high sums of money. The lawyer suggested that, quote, potential punitive damages factored into Penn State's evaluation along with, quote, a concern about publicity and a desire to resolve the matters very quickly, unquote. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I can't argue with anything that he said. Uh, it really is unfortunate that uh, the, the process unfolded the way it did. Uh, I, you know, I, I, again, I wish I could take back that vote. I, I was far too trusting during that process. We ceded the authority uh, to the legal subcommittee to make those settlements. Uh, he came to us and uh, and discussed each settlement before we went in and voted on the package. Um, the the um, the claims themselves, uh, we didn't uh, see, we didn't know individual details at the time. We were in large part expected to, to trust our colleagues. Now, Ira was just one of several people on that committee. There was another lawyer on the committee, Stephanie Devinney. She was actually an alumni elected trustee prior to 2012. 
And um, she and Ira did a lot of that legwork in conjunction with um, with uh, with Rosen and um, Feinstein. And you know, they they let Feinstein and Rosen drive the process, but Ira was always about negotiating a better deal. So, you know, in Ira's way of thinking, again, if we settle for sixty million. We're going to get the the insurance company to reimburse us a significant amount of that, so the net cost is is minimal, and we can move on. Never ever thinking about the reputation of the institution. And again, I I'm guilty as well. I I should have just on that point alone said I'm not willing to go along with this, but uh, I didn't, and uh, and I do regret that. Um, but um, Anderson's I think correct in his assessment. Uh, you know that's the reason why I think the university stopped disclosing the number of claimants in the footnote because they didn't want you to figure out what the average pavement was. You know, when you look at when you look at all of the cases around the United States, it's by far the largest per person. Uh, let's 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 get into that, Anthony. So um, the average settlement at Penn State for the first 36 um, uh, alleged victims was 3.3 million apiece. Um, I, I looked at, I compared it to the Catholic clergy. I mean, who has had more sex abuse scandals than the Catholic Church, right? So Boston, in 2003, when they paid out $85 million to 500 victims, the average settlement was 153 grand. Yeah. And in L.A. and in Los Angeles, and in, uh, I'm sorry, in Los Angeles and in San Diego, where they had all, all kinds of scandals in 2006, 2007, they're paying... 1.3 million or 1.4 million. You guys at Penn State are paying more than double that. Yep. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then there's one more sad thing in that insurance case that you talked about or that we talked about. They brought in Gary Langsdale, who was the university's risk officer. I guess that means their head insurance guy, and he was deposed in the case. Uh, and they asked him, um, what effect he thought the free report had on claims of abuse. And here's what he said, quote, the report seemed to throw gasoline on a fire. Do you concur with that? Yes, uh, and, and I will tell you that uh, I had the, the utmost respect for Gary Langsdale, still do, I mean, professionally. Uh, anytime he made a report to us, you know, he, he was always honest and forthright. He never tried to sugarcoat Good, good man. You know, he's retired now. But yeah, I, I, of course I agree with him. I mean, how could it? You know, in each and every case, the, the, the claimant's lawyers, the plaintiff's lawyers refer to the free report. Yes, now, they do. How, 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 how not? I mean, it, again, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's the reason why, even after the fact, even though all the animals are out of the, the barn. We still need to repudiate the free report. You know, we, we made some mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes, actually. We need to accept the fact that we made the mistakes, learn from them, those mistakes, apologize for them, and move on. And that's the only way we're going to heal as a community. Well, I, I got to tell you, Anthony, the one thing that I, I just find so disturbing, um, as a reporter, I had to cover uh, a Catholic uh, scandal in Philadelphia where we had an altar boy who claimed that he had been repeatedly sexually abused and raped by two priests and his school teacher when he was nine and ten years old. And he sent all those guys to prison, plus the Monsignor who was supposed to be overseeing the wayward priest. 
And at the end of the whole thing, the lead detective came forward in the case. And the bottom line, the truth of this whole thing, is that the altar boy made the entire story up. There were never any rapes. There was never any sex abuse. He admitted making up the stories to the lead detective in the case, but nobody ever told the defense lawyers about it. I must tell you that from my um, experience with sex abuse cases, all you need is somebody to stand up and say, uh, you know, uh, Ralph Cipriano raped me in, in 1984. And there ain't much Ralph can do to, to, to disprove it. And what disturbs me in this case is your university under the genius management of Ira Looper paid $120 million to 36 guys and no one, they've never been personally examined by a psychiatrist on behalf of the university, never been deposed by a lawyer, never been interviewed by a detective, never been subjected to a lie detector test. Uh, the abuse happened over a period of four decades. There were no contemporaneous reports of abuse, which is extremely rare, as anybody who's done sex abuse cases will tell you. Um, you know, there was no, we still to this day don't know no one has ever scratched the surface to see whether these guys who didn't even have to give their real names were telling the truth. And you blew $120 million without even scratching the surface to know whether any of these guys were telling the truth. And John Snedden and I, as I mentioned previously, we, John went through the records of these 36 guys. A third of them, 12 out of 36, had criminal records. And, and nobody at your university even looked at that to see, gee, do you think a crook might lie to get some money? It, it's just insane to me, Anthony. And I must say, as a member of the Board of Trustees, you must feel some you know, remorse about that. Oh, of course. Now, after, the, after we, we voted uh, to approve the $60 million, I never again voted for any settlement ever. You know, and then they stopped coming to us. But I always voted against any settlements. I, I, I knew at that point that um, that we hadn't done the job we needed to do to be sure that people should get paid any money. And, uh, you know, again, I regret having not voted against the $60 million, but, uh, you know, I will always regret that the university expended that much of its, of its resources that could have been used to offset the cost of education and fulfill its mission as the land-grant institution. Uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 monies that were expended um, uh, came out of uh, when 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 uh, Rod Erickson was asked why uh, the appropriations committee where we were getting the money to pay the claims he he gave them the greatest answer ever uh, he said the rainy day fund <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I just I just and I shook my head the rainy day fund. Um, you know, at Penn State, we we forget that money is fungible, so it's just you know it's a it's a it's a very very sad part of our history, and it's and that and I'm talking specifically about the way we handled this, the way we were so quick to bury four people who had done so much for the institution to to accept initially that they were guilty of something. Instead of allowing them their, their due process rights, I mean, Graham Spanier was the only one from the outset who defended the people. If you remember, his first statement defended Tim and, yes. and Gary, and and he was excoriated for having done that. <clears throat> you know, Cynthia Baldwin. We could spend lots of time on Cynthia Baldwin. We could spend time on Mike McQuarrie. You know, they they played important roles in all of this too. 
Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, Anthony, one last thing you that I have that I want to ask you about. You mentioned the close relationship between Louis Free and Pepper Hamilton. Yes. Um, after, are you aware that after um, Penn State paid uh, Free $8.3 million, that over $800,000 of, of all that work went to Pepper Hamilton uh, in terms of the NCAA? And they were paid a, a rather large amount there. Were you aware of that? Well, I, I knew that um, Pepper Hamilton had members of its firm as part of Free's investigative team, but I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how much, at least offhand, I couldn't tell you how much was paid to each mm-hmm. of the entities. But I wouldn't be surprised. Is the, does that enter into appearance of a conflict to you? Well, look. Pepper Hamilton was conflicted by virtue of its relationship with Governor Corbett. You know, the appearance of impropriety was, was uh, significant. Corbett knew they, they were lobbying heavily in Harrisburg. And, and in my view now, they should never have been involved in the matter because of that conflict. You know, he's a sitting trustee. He's the governor. Should never have been involved. Um, and... You know, like like so many other things. I mean, they they, they with the sleight of hand. Uh, you know, most people know that Louis Free conducted the investigation, but whether or not he had people involved with him who had conflicts, they'll never know. But no. to, to the extent that they were involved, they certainly were conflicted. Anthony, one last thing. Um, you mentioned that you saw Joe Paterno uh, the week before he died. Yes. Did you two ever discuss in any fashion, um, you know, what your role in this was going to be? No, but I'll tell you, I walked into his bedroom and he looked at me and he said, you know, who would have thought that I was going to have a baseball guy defending me? (laughs) Now, when Medlerfield at Lebrano Park was built, Joe was opposed to it. Uh, He was opposed to it on several levels. He didn't want it where it was situated, which is across from Beaver Stadium, because of the impact it might have on football operations. But he also didn't think that we should have a minor league affiliation because of, of a number of issues. And and he did try to uh, he did try to have that entire project kiboshed. Um, you know, people talk about Joe being the most powerful guy at Penn State. I, I laugh. You know, I heard this from Dave Joyner's mouth the night after they fired Joe. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know, Joe was the most powerful guy in the state. Joe wasn't the most powerful guy at Penn State, let alone the state. Joe attempted to kibosh that, that, that project. You know, he, he worked very hard to try to get that thing killed. And he, and he didn't succeed. He failed. Because he wasn't the most powerful guy at Penn State. He, he wasn't happy with Penn State joining the Big Ten network, you know, he didn't think that network would work. And but Graham Spanier did it and uh and didn't ask for Joe's permission. And Joe, as it turned out, Joe later admitted, yeah, I guess you were right about that. But um Joe never ever stepped a foot into the baseball stadium. I invited him on many occasions and he would not go to that baseball stadium. <laughs> so when I walked into his bedroom that that Tuesday and he said that to me, and we chuckled. And then we we talked about several things, not the least of which is that uh, he never would have suspected that, that Jerry was engaged or involved in any of those activities. He never saw anything to suggest it. Um, and then we, we talked about uh, 
fact that he was he planned to retire at the end of that season, the university, and he had entered into an agreement whereby he was going to retire. He gave them the names of, of four six possible successors. Uh, Urban Meyer was the top of the list. Uh, Greg Schiano was at Rutgers. Um, Pat, Gary Patterson down, I think, at TCU. And Mike Riley, who at the time was at Oregon State. Those are the four people he suggested and certainly could step in and take over the program. Uh, Dr. Spanier had met with Urban Meyer. Urban wanted the job. He absolutely wanted the job. But you know, he told Urban, we, we can't afford to pay you what you're worth. And Urban said, it's not about the money. I just want to follow Joe. I have so much respect for Joe Paterno. And, and the irony is that if you would have gone to, to Columbus when Urban was coaching the Buckeyes, you would have found in his office several pictures of Joe. You don't find any of those pictures over at the Lash Building at Penn State, sadly. But Urban Meyer had those pictures. Um, so he wanted the job. Graham uh, didn't meet with any of the other folks. Actually, that's not true. He met with Greg Schiano. Tim Curley wouldn't meet with any of them because he thought he wouldn't meet with Greg because Greg was already coaching Rutgers and he, he thought that would be poaching. I never met with the other two, but uh, but Urban wanted the job. Um, he, he traveled to Bullsburg, looked at some properties. Uh, and then when Joe was fired, Urban called and Urban asked, who do I talk to? I still want the job. And Joe said, I don't know who you to talk to. I don't know who's in charge. You know, when, when Joe... When Joe was sitting in bed, Joe was worried about Penn State. That, that, that will, for me, be a lasting memory. He was worried about Penn State, first and foremost. He, he actually went out to hire uh, a public relations team for Penn State, but as it turned out, Penn State couldn't make any decisions, so that gentleman got hired by, by Joe himself. Um, Joe was, you know... And not surprisingly, Joe always thought about Penn State. I, I suspect that uh, this accelerated his passing. Um, you know, it's just, it's really so unfortunate. And of course, in his statement where he said, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish I'd done more, people have, have misstated what he said. They always forget with the benefit of hindsight. They always say, I wish I'd done more. Right? So, you know, I... As long as I'm alive and breathing, I'm always going to tell the, you know, the, the Joe Paterno that I know, and based on all of the work that I did, the fact that I don't believe Joe or Gary or, or Tim uh, have any level of culpability in, in this, that, that they were told something that didn't rise to the level of any sort of abuse. They thought it was horseplay. And Tim changed the plan slightly, went to Jack Ray. It's the second mile, the organization that was responsible for Jerry and, uh, and thought that he'd, they'd met, he'd met their obligation. Um, you know, if, if they thought that what had occurred in there was, was so extreme as was reported in the presentment, there's no question in my mind that they would have done something else immediately, but instead they did what, what they had done, you know, before. So, now, here we are still talking about it, and we can only hope and pray that that uh, Jerry gets the opportunity at least to be heard again. And I think if that's true, then we can have a, a full and fair hearing of all of the facts, especially now that we have so much more information. Thanks, Anthony. Well, thank you. John? Yes. Yes. I'm going to let you wrap things up. 
Okay. Hey, um, Anthony, we really appreciate it. I mean, it's uh, very eye-opening, uh, particularly to people that are not familiar with this entire case. Um, the, the, the entire degree to of uh, everything from betrayal by the uh, you know major part of the board of trustees, complicity in uh, you know criminal acts to get this this uh, investigation off the ground and. Uh, you know the the collusion that uh, we've we've seen. I mean, it's the whole thing is appalling. I mean, uh, you know, you can't look at even one part of this case and not see major problems. I know when I talked to uh, Anthony and Tom right off the bat, uh, you know, and I've they recognize some problems, and I, you know, I've I've mentioned uh, repeatedly that. When I was in investigating that, I was getting calls from all over the planet saying, hey, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, from people, you know, from my law enforcement colleagues. So, um, you know, it's it's really uh, nice to be able to uh, get a perspective from somebody that uh, was right there, you know. And uh, it, it is eye-opening for somebody that, you know, even if they know a part of the story, you know, you've you've really given us a uh, really good glimpse into the whole thing. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And we uh, we are 150 percent behind whatever you're doing and whatever we can do to to push the ball forward in the future. Uh, we're here to do that. Exactly that. I appreciate it. I appreciate your your dedication. Uh... The truth is often evasive. As my mother would say, my late mother, she wrote in peace, she would say that there are three sides to every story. My side, your side, and the truth. And yeah. Um, and we, we and and you know, we're 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 attempting to get more information out so people can have a better understanding of what actually took place. Well, you've certainly uh, I'm sure you've opened a lot of people's eyes. I mean, uh, those that uh, have not know just just a part of the story, to those that don't know any of it. So, uh, it's, a, it's a very big story, and it's difficult to get your arms around, isn't it? Abs absolutely, absolutely. Uh, again, th thank you very much, Anthony. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us, and uh, we really love to have you back as soon as possible. Yes. So. We'll, we'll hope that we can be back. Uh, hopefully, uh, my stay on the board is not shortened by for any reason. <laughs> I, yeah, correct. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. You bet. Bye bye.